Amen. Today is Sunday, January 27th, 2019. Today we're going to continue in our Band of Survivor series with a message entitled, Band of the Restored. Man, what a good word, Miss Joe. We're, we're supposed to head on with what's going to go on, but I have to tell you uh, publicly in front of everyone, the way that the Lord has been using you to speak to us it's been could not be any more perfect. And I use that word rarely, but accurately here. This is a perfect word that you gave today, and you have been. Thank you. Uh, it's a crown of honor to your husband as one of our elders. It is a crown of honor to this church to have you present the words with such boldness and such precision from the heavens. Thank you for that. On a day like today, you can feel so much that's right with the world, can't you? When you walk in here and you feel the unity and worship and the excitement, something inside you instinctively knows this is the way that things ought to be. But so much of our life, that's not what we feel, is it? So much of our life, something's screaming out inside you, what's, what's wrong with the world? Something's just not right. Everywhere you go, you're like, why is that guy so angry? Why is traffic the way that it is? Why are these lights like hell conspiring against me to keep me from getting where I'm supposed to go? Something just feels wrong with the world, doesn't it? It's broken. People have been singing songs about waiting on the world to change. Friends, you can't wait on anything. But when I heard our title today, Band of the Restored, I have to admit, it did bring to mind a particular song. It's a good song. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I've got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm counting on Bosch here There's battle lines being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance From behind the time we stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down What an awkward minute and nine seconds in church <laughs> But you have to remember I was not raised in a place like this I'm more often mistaken for a biker than a pastor and so I don't mind the unorthodox awkwardness that we feel in church. In fact, that was originally a nine-member band called Buffalo Springfield. The song is called For What It's Worth. Anybody remember it? Have you heard it before? Yeah. Now, seven of the members of Buffalo Springfield faded into obscurity. You wouldn't know their names if they were mentioned. Because the band was only together from 1966 to 1968. And then they broke up. Like the Blues Brothers, sometimes you got to get the band back together. So what happens is 44 years later, they tried again. 44 years later. 
They're old and broke and broken down. It's like a VH1 behind the music story. The problem is, after two years, they broke up again. Sometimes we talk about restoration, but when we don't do the hard work of repentance, the behavior just repeats itself. It doesn't matter how much time's passed. The feeling that time heals all is simply not true. Repentance heals all. Now, when you think through this, it's important for you to realize that there are a couple guys that didn't go into obscurity. Stephen Stills went on to form Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I hope that's not your favorite band. You may have trouble remembering the Leo K one, I was going to say. There is at least one drug-free Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan still alive today. And then another guy goes on for a solo career. That was Neil Young. And so people say, hey, look, this was great. No, it's not. For two to succeed out of nine, that's not great. And it occurred to me while we were thinking about passages in Isaiah, an ancient Hebrew prophet and poet, that our social revolutionaries of the 60s may have been prophesying without realizing it. Because the very first verse of that song says something's happening here, but what it is isn't exactly clear. Actually, they said ain't. But Miss Joe doesn't like me to use poor grammar from the stage. (laughs) Isn't that true about what happens with sin? Things suddenly become very foggy and you retreat into battle lines that are drawn, which is the third line of the song. But this, there's a diffusion of responsibility in these words. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Reconciliation that says, hey, look, we are all just wrong. And I mean, let's, let's just hug and move on. You'll never keep the band together like that because it doesn't force you to examine your behavior and what needs to change in you. Now, is it true that everybody's wrong? Of course. We're all, uh, our, our righteousness is filthy rags. And yet, you must take accountability for your own actions. I'm going to submit today that where we start this message is actually in the chorus. That's when all the members were singing together at one time. A band says, it's time we stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Sometimes we're just going to have to stop and look at the world as it is and see what needs to happen. I believe that the single best thing that ever happened to the world is when Moshe received the Torah. I want to start with you in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're going to get the band back together, y'all. Come on. Let's get the band back together. Amen. In Deuteronomy... Chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first one. Before we move any further than that, when we're thinking of where we pick up in the story in Deuteronomy 10, what has happened to the first set of commandments? They're broken. Number one, I want you to understand that God is not interested in the testimony of the broken law. He is interested in the testimony of the whole, completed, full law. And so what happens is he says to the leader of a nation that has already broken its mitzvot, you bring me 
Two tablets chiseled out of stone. That's distinctly different than the way that the tablets were given the first time. The first time, the tablets were carved by God himself out of a mountain. The second time, something was required of the man. He would have to present the tablets that represent his stony heart before the Lord. You want to talk about where restoration starts. How we become a band of the restored. It's when we acknowledge that we have broken the commands of God. And by we, I mean you personally as well. Not just we in general, as in we are the world, right? But you, when you come to that place and you ascend a mountain to the Lord and say, this is the tablet of my heart and I have already messed it up, then something beautiful happens. Chisel out the two stone tablets like the first one. Somebody say, like the first ones. Like the first ones. You do not have the right to accept the new mission. You cannot look and go, well, I know I messed all that up, so now I'm going to do something different. What God will inscribe on you is not something new, irrespective of what He's already said. What He will inscribe on you is a return to your original mission with the power of His Spirit to complete it. You come to Him and say, I broke it, I messed it up, and I need your help. And because He sees you trying to reach near to Him, He will reach back and with the very finger of God, He will cause you to succeed where you had only previously failed. That's good. Christians, we're going to have to grab hold of this or else we do fall into a VH1 special. I know I didn't get it right last time, but let's put the band back together. We'll sing some new songs and no one will believe it's authentic at all. And it just falls apart again. But if we can learn to present the tablets of our heart to the Lord and let Him reinscribe the same words, then our testimony becomes the whole and completed work of God and not the broken law of God. He says, I will write on the tablets the words. Come on. Somebody say the words. The words. That's the name of this book, Devarim. The words that were on the first tablets. What's that next phrase? Which you broke. God will never let you experience restoration until you own the fact that you need it because you failed. Mm. Not just, hey, something's happening here. What it is isn't exactly clear. No, it's as clear as you broke God's command. Come on. And until we can come face to face with that fact, then it does stay unclear. But as soon as you look into the mirror of God's word, what you will see is the area that you broke God's command and you need to present your heart to him. And then the very finger of God rewrites his mitzvah on your heart. Look what comes next. Then you are to put them in the chest. Now I got to tell you, I know that what that's referring to is the ark of his testimony. What Israel carried around, what the prince with God carried around in the desert was a very throne of God, a mercy seat of God. And it had in it the testimony of the reinscribed law, the whole and complete law, the law that man couldn't keep, but God caused man to keep. And that in itself is beautiful. But as I read it today, I saw those tablets as the broken pieces of my heart and having to hold them out to the Lord. 
And say, would you re-inscribe them? And he'd say, yes, I'll put on the same words as the first time. And then I'll put them back in your chest. This is the stony heart that becomes flesh. This is the spirit moving you so that you can be a part of the band restored. We got to get the band back together, y'all. Amen. Do you guys hear how fantastic this word is? This is a life-giving word. The idea that you're going to be able to do something without admitting that you broke the law. If you think that you can skirt around that at any part in any area of your life, you're missing it. Let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 34. Let's see the same concept as it was happening the first time. Amen. Let's see the same picture. Let's get a little bit more detail than what Pastor Eric already just shared with us. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 4. Are you there? So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one. When you say the word chiseled, besides thinking of our incredible physiques here. Yeah, Judah, show them your abs because I can't. (laughs) Chiseled. The idea behind the word chiseled is that, that it requires a lot of hard work to be able to do that. It's not something that you just happened upon. He chiseled out two stone tablets. There was intentionality that was there, like the first ones. Man, I'm reminded of, I think it's Isaiah 51. Remember the rock from which you were cut out, the, the, the quarry from which you were hewn. Remember that there is a singular standard. We're trying to fine-tune the very faith of Abraham here at this church. We're trying to go back to the source, just like the first ones. But maybe it's not just only of Abraham. Maybe it's in your life. What's the last thing that God told you to do? Are you still doing that? Are you still faithful to that? Boy, sometimes it's unclear like the song says, but isn't it, shouldn't it be more clear to us today? Yes. Really, the only things that you need to worry about today are, are you still doing the last thing that he told you to? If you're not still doing that, then you know what you need to do right now. You need to stop. You need to chisel out some more stone tablets that he might inscribe. You chisel and he inscribes with his very finger. You've got to go back to the source and go, what did he tell me to do? Did I ever do it? Am I still doing it now? Then Lord, help me to do that right this moment. Look what he did. After he did that, then he went up. Somebody say, went up. Went up. He went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning. I'm sure he passed Elder Charlie there in prayer early in the morning. Elder Charlie was getting chiseled. He was chiseling it. As the Lord had commanded him to do. See, Moses was merely and powerfully doing exactly what the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets where? In his hands. He's taking ownership of it. He had possession of it. His actions showed that he was doing exactly what the Lord told him to do. Can you say that today? Where have your hands been? What, what have you grabbed hold of Are you grabbing hold of what the Lord told you to do? Have you taken the stone tablets of your heart and chiseled them? And are you presenting them before the Lord? Are you going up on the mountain? It is in your hands. Somebody say, it's in my hands. It's in my hands. This constant victim mentality in our world that says it's really never your fault. It's got to be someone else's fault. Pastor, you just don't know what my wife said to me. Pastor, you don't know what the kids did. Pastor, you don't understand my job. Yeah, I don't have to. Because it's in your hands. What you are choosing to put your hands to is showing whether you're being obedient to the God of all creation. Are you doing the last thing that he told you to do, church? If you're doing it, then you must continue to do it. How long must I do it? 
until he tells you to stop. This is not difficult. This is not too far away from us that we can't grasp it. It is here. It's in our hands. It's in our mouth. This is exactly what we should be doing. Continue. Verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. Come on now. When we go up with action, when we go up with obedience, when we go up with repentance, you know what happens? He comes down. He comes down with His very presence. He brings restoration to your life. Do you need restoration today? Are there parts of you that are broken today? He will bring it to you. He will come down. But what is it predicated by? You got to go up. You got to go up. You got to have acts of obedience. You got to have acts of repentance so that you will rise up and he will meet you every single time with his very presence when we go up. Oh, come on, church. His presence comes down. You're not getting it like pastor's preaching. He's preaching better than you're listening. If you want the Lord to come down and meet with you, it's required of you that you grab hold of your heart and you go up towards Him. You got to korban towards the Lord. You got to bring something near to Him. The book of James tells you. Ah, the book of Yaakov tells you. If you draw near to the Lord, He will draw near to you. You can't sit back on your blessed assurance and ask the Lord of the universe to come meet you where you are. You gotta get up. You gotta go up. What are you gonna do, saints? You gonna get up? You gonna go up? Pastor, I know why sometimes it's hard for us to get up and go up. I just figured it out. The truth is, is sometimes we have our hands on other things. Ah. You ever, you ever seen a mom? Come on, moms. Oh, yeah. You got 17 bags four strollers and you only got one baby. I don't know how all that happens. I'm talking about the single, the the parents of single kids here. You, you get your hands full. What happens when somebody's asking you to go up? No, I got my hands on everything. Yeah. Church. The only things your hands need to be on is what the Lord has instructed you. Let it all go. Continue to read here. This is what happens. And he passed in front of Moses. Verse six. Uh, Let me go back to verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. Wow. (laughs) Golly. And proclaimed his own name, the Lord. I'm going to tell you what my name is. Because the Lord himself has shown up. So he's going to declare his very character. His very, his Hashem right there in his midst. And he passed in front of Moses. He didn't hide behind him somewhere. Wasn't playing hide and seek. He passed right in front of him. The Lord, the Lord. You know what happens now? We not only get his name, but the Lord himself gives a sevenfold character trait. He explains the entirety of his character to Moses right here. Look at it. Come on, this is all the way back in the Old Testament. I read somewhere that old wine was better. It is, in fact, better. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. Somebody say compassionate. Compassionate. The gracious God. Somebody say gracious. He's gracious. Man, don't you, aren't you glad you're now at a church that doesn't teach the ridiculous thought process that the God of the Old Testament was somehow different in nature than the God of the New Testament? That's heresy. While quoting Hebrews 13, that he's the same yesterday and today forever, they will teach you that the Older Testament is a God of judgment. What does God define himself as? Gracious. A God of compassion. A God of graciousness. Slow to anger. Ooh, I need that. Come on, don't you like the people that are slow to anger? Abounding in love. Come on, back to you moms here for a second. Feeling compassion for our moms today. When you get a little one and, and you start turning to your husband and giving them a hug and the little one is like, whoa, 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 what's this? 
That's supposed to be, I'm supposed to get your love, mom. Do you know what the Lord being abounding in love is supposed to do? It's supposed to end every hint of jealousy amongst us. You know why? Because he's got enough love to pour it out on you and me and pastor. And he can, he's abounding in love. There's no end to his love. He's also abounding in faithfulness. It's not a Black Friday sale at Walmart. He's not going to run out. <laughs> it's you don't not, have to trample each other in line. He, not, he can meet his need and my need, even on, though man. my needs are greater than his. He can do it all. He can even help Cody over there. He, he might even be able to get to you in the back, Andrew. There's something for everyone who will approach him. He's teaching us about his, his character here. This is not some pie that once you cut a slice out, that's that much less for you. He's abounding in love. He is abounding in faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. You know what some translations say about this, Pastor? He says that he'll maintain it to thousands of generations. Oh, man. He, if he's going to maintain it to thousands, doesn't like that seem like it's kind of limited? No, he's going to, he not only has enough love, but it doesn't wane over time. It doesn't cease and start to, you know, that, that love that you have for that new thing that you get, that you really love, and then after a while it's just thrown to the side like everything else you have. See, he doesn't do that. He maintains his love. He has it, he keeps it, he maintains it, and he shares it with you as you come with your stone tablets, and you come up that he may come down. Maintaining love to thousands of generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You know, we don't really catch that. He says the three things here that he also teaches us in 1 Kings 8, 47. It's the same three topics and three categories of sin that he teaches us about in Psalm 19. Your wickedness, those things that you know you're doing and you have a hard heart about it. He can forgive you of that if you will chisel out that part of your heart and bring it to him. He will forgive your rebellion. You know what that is? Those are the things that you know you're doing and you're just going to choose to keep on doing. You're breaking up the band. You're breaking up the band. And he forgives your sin, even the mistakes that you make. There's three categories there that he's telling us in, he, in, a, in uh, Exodus that he continues to teach the Jews about through the entirety of the word. He'll forgive any type of sin that you have if, if you will come up on the mountain and let him come down and bring you his presence. Now, we all say the book of Exodus, but this is not the Hebrew name. It's Shemot. And that word in Hebrew means these are the names. Do you know what that is meant to convey to you? This message is given to people that he knows their names. It's not as if this compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin kind of God does not know who you are, where you live, and the function that you're supposed to live by. In Hebrew, a name denotes a function. He knows what he designed you to do. And he is willing. He is compassionate. He will help you do it. But you are going to have to return to your design. He rescues us from slavery and brings us into the purpose of our design. We got to put the band back together. Get the band back together today. Look, look at the rest of verse 7 here. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Isn't that most people's picture of the God of the of the Older Testament? Oh, he's going to punish you. If he's just shown you compassion 
and been gracious to you to give you the strength to overcome sin. If he has been abounding in love to you, slow to anger. If he's been abounding in faithfulness, maintaining his love and forgiving everything that you bring to him. At what point shouldn't he punish you if you neglect the entirety of his character? You got it coming. Come on now. This is the thing we want to bring our lives to the Lord. Zechariah chapter 10 verse 6. Don't turn there. It says, I will restore them because I have compassion on them. Oh, come on. See, you thought it just happened when Jesus showed up on the scene in the Newer Testament. You thought that when he looked at people and saw them like sheep without a shepherd, that was the beginning of God's compassion. Clearly it's not. No, it's not. Clearly this was from the beginning that God is a compassionate God. Nahum chapter 1 says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. Boy, doesn't that word just minister a refuge? Refuge. He cares for those who trust in him. Let's continue on this thought. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 15. Oh, amen. Turn to Jeremiah 15. Find verse 19. Find verse 19. Come on, if you'll allow it, this word will lift you up today. You can come on up on the mountain and God will visit you with his presence today. He will restore every area of your life today. It's no small thing to be able to meet with the living God. God forbid there ever be a day we take that for granted. The word in Jeremiah 15, 19 says this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Well, you better pay attention to that. If you repent, I will restore you. Mm. If you repent. If. That's the ridiculous nature that's going around in in our country, in our world today. You don't really need to repent. But we're going to pray that God restore you. That's ridiculous. The Lord said, if you repent, I will restore you. It's almost like I'm hearing the echoes of Psalm 51 that he'll restore to us the joy of his salvation in us. Think through this, saints. This is not because we're adding some condition. In fact, as much as I would have liked to have been there when Jeremiah wrote this, I didn't write it. You would never restore a car that was in the car crusher and plan to stay there. What would be the point? If we will not walk away from the crushing weight of our sin, then how could you ever hope for restoration to last? Restoration begins when we turn our back on what has been destroying us, the crushing, oppressing weight of our disobedience. Repentance always precedes the restoration that God has. Repentance is going to precede the restoration that God has. In Psalm 126, can you put this on the screen? You guys don't need to turn there. Stay right there in Jeremiah because I'm going to come back to it. But in Psalm 126, verse 4, it says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the desert. Those who sow in tears, those who repent, those who chisel out their stone, stony hearts, will reap with songs of joy. They will get restoration. He who goes out weeping, if you die to yourself, And allow yourself to be broken by his word. God, the arrogant will not stand in his presence. Neither will the cowardly. So if you're too cowardly to get over your arrogance, you're in double trouble. He who goes out weeping, carrying uh, seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The idea is that if we repent, he will restore. If we repent and then we plant, then he can, he can bring a harvest into our lives. This is a powerful word for us today. You will never get the restoration that you're seeking unless you repent. What is one of the fruits 
of a heart that has been represented to the Lord. It's songs of joy. We got to get the band back together, y'all. We're going to make our best music yet. It's not going to be like the Rolling Stones or something that are like old ladies singing in front of crowds. It's going to be something that heaven designed. Something that embraces your full potential and purpose. There will be seed in your action that results in sheaves coming into the house of God. See, our lives are supposed to be full of purpose. And the worst thing that we find ourselves doing is breaking God's command, which makes us leave the very purpose of our life. This building is full of people that were born for a purpose. Look at your neighbor say, I was born for a purpose. I was born for a purpose. And we were put in a band of the restored for a reason. We got songs to play, y'all. Going into 2018, we had a word given to us as we were getting into our New Year's time, New Year's Eve time there. No more fig leaves, but we're supposed to bring forth fruitful sheaves. And as God's word always is, we look at it as a 12 month time limit. He's saying, this is what's going to go on before you. That as we continue to repent, we will see his restoration. Back in Jeremiah, if you repent, then I will restore you. Why? Just so you can feel restored? So you can be happy? In Jeremiah 15, verse 19, it says that you may serve me. I'm going to restore you because I have a purpose for you. If I can restore you, then you can begin to restore the entire world around you. You start off with you and you get restored. Then you begin to restore your family. Then you begin to restore the nations. That is the plan of the Lord. If you utter worthy, not worthless words. Come on now. Come on. Anybody ever uttered worthless words this morning since you've been here at church? You ever, read your the, you ever read in Ecclesiastes to not listen too closely to your servant or you may hear him cursing you and you yourself know you've done the same thing? There have been some unworthy words spoken in the last few years. I've certainly had my books full of them. <laughs> you want to be the spokesman of God uttering worthy words. This is a part of your purpose and your right. design. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Come on now. I want to be a spokesman for the Lord. Doesn't that encourage you this morning? Look, I think of the purpose. Why does God restore us? Well, because he's compassionate. Yes. Amen. God, we need him to be that. Yes. Why, why does he restore our purpose? Well, because we've decided we're going to just repent because we want his ways above us. Yes. I want you to listen. I'm just going to quickly read a few of the mezuzahs of the men in this room. I want you to listen to this for a second. If you're not familiar with that term, it's an adaptation for us. Every single Israelite was supposed to place on the doorframe of his house. And in fact, every room to any building that was for a clean purpose and not unclean, a statement about Israel's destiny and future that comes from Deuteronomy. What we have done is tried to discover the purpose for which each of us were created while we are on the earth and focus our families, each family, in their unique purpose. We call that a mezuzah statement. Mezuzah, to reflect the restorative light of God's word. Reflecting God's restoration, Steve Thomas. To light people on fire for the heart of God, Nolan mm. Hewitt. Well, that sounds like a good tag team there. Mm. One's lighting a fire and one's reflecting the light. That's, that's pretty good. Get the band back together. Get the band back together. Tisdale to illuminate the presence of God to others. Are you, I want you to start hearing the restorative nature of what God calls us to do. 
The reason that you repent is so that you can be restored, that you might serve him. The purpose that he gives to you is that you might be restored and then you go and begin to restore others. We could almost call your mezuzah statement the restoration statement for your life. Let's listen. Let me find some others. Chris Reusora, to shine the light towards the way, the truth, and the life. Gabriel Arias, to be a burning light that shines the life of Christ, beckoning the lost and awakening the latent. To repair by cultivating an atmosphere for restoration, says the Moloch family to JJ. To help others get a revelation and see the living God, Treaster. To teach the lowly and distressed how to fight, how to take new ground, how to be restored, Judah Stevens. Mm. Setting people free from the effects of sin and anchoring them to a hope in Christ, Mr. Linton. Are you hearing the words of restoration in this? Why should you be restored today? So you can feel better? Absolutely not. That's the least of the benefits. You are supposed to be restored today that you might impact the world around you and restore the world. See, as a band of the restored, you make a whole song. As individuals, you end up with some sinful solo career. And what we want is we want to get the band back together. Come on. If you loved the temptations, it was never the same when Ruffin Smith left. Maybe that's not your deal. Maybe you were there when David Lee Roth, a Jew, was singing about jumping for Van Halen. But I got to tell you, it's not the same when Hagar came in. Not into Abraham's life, but into Van Halen's life. What I'm getting at is we need every member of the band. When you lose a key member, and I want to look at your neighbor say, I'm a key member. See, we need you because God designed you with a purpose. And our purpose is locked together to make, well, a harmony. The chorus that we're supposed to bring is songs of joy to the whole world. In fact... You can't think of joy to the whole world without thinking about the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11. Let us go there now. Say there when you were there. If you were a King James only fan, you were about to be shocked and awed. I myself am going to read this in the New International Version to avoid the embarrassment of explaining what the whole of an asp is. Isaiah 11.3 And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The pronoun he has an antecedent. That antecedent is referring to the servant of the Lord that we know as Yeshua. But it's also the nation of Israel and it is also any servant of the Lord. What must we delight in? The fear of the Lord. In our time, we have turned a fear, a reverence, a moral obligation to the Lord into a bad word. We only talk about the love's, the, the Lord's great acceptance. But the Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Amen. Friends, there ought to be some things that you just don't do. You'll never catch a Saudi Arabian prince in the dumpster in the back of this church digging around for food because he's a prince. You are a member of a kingdom. Jesus Christ is not the king of mice or goats or cats. He's the king of kings. Some behavior is simply beneath us. In breaking up the band, that's beneath us. 
If we learn to delight, to be pliable in the fear of the Lord, then something happens. It says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide with what he hears with his ears. How many times have your eyes led you astray? Most of the time. Shimshon is one of those men that when he lost his eyeballs, he could see for the first time. Come on now. Our ears don't always tell us the truth. Our ears hear and hold on to an offense that was never intended. Our eyes infer things that didn't actually happen. In fact, there was a U.S. president not that long ago that said, don't believe your lying eyes. I'm glad you didn't understand that. It had to do with an Oval Office incident. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. Righteousness. He will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. The word of God is rightly wielded by the man who has submitted all of his senses To the word of God. You know the only way to get justice anywhere. Is by the word of God. And if we cannot be faithful to the word that he has given to us. Then we're going to have to bring the broken pieces of it. And say Lord. Help me. I'm climbing the mountain. And I can't reach you. But there is a mountain in front of me. And I can return to where it went wrong. I can climb the mountain and say. You can put it back together again. Help me and he will do that what he will not do is hunt you down force you to be restored while you want to be in the crushing weight of your sin or will not acknowledge it see the church this church any real church is a pillar and foundation of truth you cannot walk away from the truth and claim to be in the truth From one congregation, you can be sent to congregations. But you may not determine your own destiny. The Lord of glory has done that for you. This is not controlling. This is freeing. It's our job as a band of the restored to repair the world. It's tukun ha olam. We are building, repairing the world that is to come. Now... Verse 5 says something interesting. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness a sash around his waist. Come on, Christy. Is that pretty? It sounds pretty to me. Nobody else that sound pretty to? Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness a sash. That's just poetic. Unless your daddy unbuckles his belt and rips that thing out and he has to take that belt of righteousness and... Smote them on their hind parts. Smote them on their hinder parts. You'll feel his healing warmth flow right through your body and bring healing. Now, the reason we're bringing that up is that was never what righteousness was intended to do. The law is spiritual, it's holy, and it's righteous. The whole point was to display God's righteous character. It only becomes difficult... When we break it, you don't want what was intended to bring you life to become death to you. You don't want that. I remember raising some rather rambunctious young men. 
And what I wanted to do was bless them. And what they made me do was beat them. So a loving father goes to take off his belt and I tear that thing off. And I got a friction burn on the fat that is just above my belt that dropped me to my knees. And they laughed. And I chased. And they eventually submitted to the will and rule of the Lord. Do not make light of the Lord's judgment. See, he is compassionate. And when he allows difficulty to come into your life, when he even causes difficulty in your life, the purpose is that you would embrace his righteousness, not be beaten by it. And he is gracious and loving and compassionate. Look, when we get this right, say we... When we get the band back together, something happens to the world around us. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. You can take even a child in the house of God and he can settle disputes between adversaries because when the kingdom comes upon you, battle lines start to go away. You ever fought with somebody so long you don't even remember what you were fighting about anymore? You just know you don't like them? See, the kingdom washes that away. Amen. It washes that away, but it will not wash it away if you cannot show up and go, my bad. I got a wicked heart that is being reworked by God. Yeah. That, that has to happen. And the assurance that we have from our loving Father is He will inscribe you with His finger And make you new again. Now in verse 7 we hear about cows feeding. And I just don't want to talk about that. Let's go to verse (laughs) 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the seas. Do you know what that looks like? That looks like Isaiah's 58 repairer of broken walls. It looks like things that were broken being restored when the knowledge, the experiential knowledge, the action-oriented knowledge of the Lord has come upon you. Then you end up like 2 Samuel 9. You become Mephibosheth at the king's table. You become the one that knows he was unworthy, but now sits as a son of the Most High God, being fed at the table of kings. What do you want in your life? Do you want the crushing weight of sin? Or would you like to get the band back together? Let's get the band together. Let's go to Job 33. Every man, woman, and child. It's 11.55. We, we hadn't been preaching an hour yet. Pretend you're watching the movie Titanic. <laughs> now for another two hours and 18 minutes. You're going to be just fine. Look at your neighbor say, I'm doing fine. But I'm about to get better. Job 33. Verse 16, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings. Are you kidding me? Elihu is telling uh, Job that this happens? Yes. Yes, God is not to be trifled with. He's to be approached with reverence and awe. To turn a man from wrongdoing and keep him from his... What's that four-letter word there? Pride. It may be five letters, but it's graceless. And it, it goes with any four-letter word that the French may speak. 
Pride can keep us from yielding to the Lord, hearing the Lord. Pride can be wrapped around our neck like a millstone and cause us to sink in the sea of humanity. Why does God warn a man? Why is he willing to terrify a man? Verse 18, to preserve his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. God wants to save your life. The Torah, the Tanakh, the Brit Hadashah, the entirety of the Bible is about the preservation of life. Restoring what is broken. These things are not to kick us while we're down. They're to show you your place so that you will climb the mountain with the broken pieces of your heart. In verse 19, or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain. Now, if you think that's an Older Testament concept, what will you do when you read through Revelation 1, 2, and 3 and see the same admonition given in a New Testament church? I will rack you on a bed of pain. That's Jesus speaking. So that his very being finds food repulsive and his soul loathes the choicest meal. His flesh wastes away to nothing and his bones once hidden now stick out. His soul draws near to the pit and his life to the messengers of death. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of proud Naaman in 2 Kings 5 who has a healing prophet, a healing river right there. But he thinks he's got cleaner rivers somewhere else. No reason, even though he's leprous, to go get in that dirty water. Surely there's something better somewhere else because I just don't like what God has apportioned to me. Of course, even Naaman and all of his pride repented and God healed. We don't have to be pulled towards a messenger of death. Look at verse 23. Yet, if there is an angel on his side, as a mediator, if one out of a thousand to tell a man what is right for him, to be gracious to him, and to spare him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom for him. Oh my God, that there were a mediator. That there were an angel, if there were somebody to stand beside the one who is afflicted by his pride, who is afflicted by his sin, who is afflicted and on the right road but headed the wrong way. Then, then, that mediator might say, I have a ransom for him. You know, that reminds me of Malachi 4. The sun will rise. With healing in its wings. Are your days dark? Are there difficulties right now that you don't know how to get right? Because if somebody knew what you were dealing with, they might not want to be around you. They might not look at you the same way. You are concerned that if you let your pride go and you speak up about the broken nature of your existence, that you won't be allowed in the band. Well, the S-O-N and the S-U-N will rise with healing in his wings when a man will approach the Almighty and admit his wrong. The thing is, is you can't do that in your heart if you will not do it with your feet and hands. Moses took those tablets in his 
hands and walk towards the Lord. Repentance in private is no repentance at all because you will repeat your sin in private. Oh, it's worth living out. Thank you, honey, because it's true. How many of you had somebody in your life whisper in your ear, I'm going to love you forever. But the next week... That was kind of frightening. That, that was, <laughs> if that, that happened in prison, breath, yeah. we'll, we'll pray for healing for you after the service. I was actually thinking of locker room talk in high school. A pledge made in private is worthless in public. This is why we do wedding ceremonies publicly. This is why we do ordinations publicly. This is why we do baptisms Publicly, because when it becomes confusing, when sin has entered into the environment, people put away their private commitments immediately. Yeah, it's true. We got to pick up the tablets of our heart, y'all. Come on. We got to put the band back together. That's a good word. In fact, verse 25 gives us a promise. Then his flesh is renewed like a child's. It is restored as in the days of his youth. He prays to God and finds favor with him. Who would have thought that the one who was being terrified by God would now find favor with him? All of the fear, all of the terror, all of the chastening was designed for one thing. Turn around, son, so that I might bless you. He sees God's face and shouts, For joy. He is restored to God. To his righteous state. You mean you can mess it up. And he can fix it again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He can make it better than it ever was. He can restore a righteous state. Then he comes to men and says. I sinned and perverted what was right. The man who cannot repent. Publicly can't do it because he hasn't been forgiven. He still wears it like a crushing weight around his neck. But the man who has been forgiven because he's been honest with the Lord and the Lord has in fact set him free, he can stand and say, I sinned because it's no longer him. It's that guy that did it yesterday. The new guy, the restored guy. He's back. Yeah. We have to examine our hearts. The men who are repenting among us are the ones that are close to God. The men that are refusing to repent among us, they're the ones that are far from God. And if you don't think that you need to repent, perhaps you should re-examine the tablet of your heart. Verse 28. Actually, let's finish 27. I sinned and perverted what was right, but I did not get what I deserved. Amen. Oh, is that a good feeling? That's a great feeling. Assad, I saw you nodding back there. You know, it is said that grace is when you get something you didn't deserve. And mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. (laughs) You know, praise God for mercy. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit. And I will live to enjoy the light. Do you want to live? Yes. Do you want to enjoy it? Yes. We got to put the band back together, y'all. In Psalm 36, it actually mentions that it's in his light that we see light. We want to be able to enjoy the light of his life that he gives. I'm, I'm going to go back just for a second, Pastor. Do it, brother. I'm, I'm enjoying this. 
Guys, we, we, uh, we actually enjoy doing this with each other. This is a fun thing to do. I was particularly touched by the story of Naaman. I, I want to go back to that for just a second because I think there's still some meat on those bones, Pastor. It might even be rotting off those bones. It might even be rotting off those bones. In the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5, I believe it is, Naaman is given a way to be restored. He's given a process by which he can be healed, and he doesn't like the process. There are people here today that you don't like the process that's set before you, and it's causing you to stay in a leprous condition. Oh, Jesus. Wake up. We are trying to get you to move towards the kind of restoration that the Bible prescribes. Yeah. Do you not like it because it's too difficult? Because it's different than what you wanted? That means you're still on the throne of your own heart. Oh. Repent before him today that you might be restored and you might serve him. Don't be Naaman in this place today. Yeah. There are some Naamans that are sitting here today. I can feel it in my spirit. I can call you by your regular name or I can call you by what I'm feeling now and you're just being Naaman. Mm. You don't like what God has prescribed for you. You don't like the people who he's prescribed it. You don't like the way that we say it. You don't like... That's fine. All of those things and you're the one that's staying in leprosy. You're the one staying under the crushing weight of sin. This word today is to try to liberate you from where you are. We had an incredible service Wednesday night. Incredible. Oh my. Set free. We had people having visions and dreams of... of uh, enemies being torn off of people. We had incredible things. We had freedom. And if you don't repent today and keep being restored, you're not going to enjoy that freedom. You're going to go, wow, what a great service that was back in the day somewhere. <laughs> we want you to have a life that is showing that you're restored. Turn with us to Psalm chapter 80. You're going to see this in a beautiful way right here. Amen. Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 80. We want all of our vocalists. We want all of our instruments. We, we want to get the we band want back together. We want the band back together. Come on. We want your mezuzah in harmony with all of the other mezuzahs because we're going to fix this thing. We're going to see the world change. When you get right, the world will start to get right with you. You have more godly power than you realize, but it all starts from broken places. Ooh. Psalm 80, and let's, verse, let's go to verse 16. And speaking from a place like Naaman, speaking from a place of being down, your vine is cut down. It's burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. What is this saying? This is Israel's condition in this moment. They are cut down. They've been burned with fire. Now, we know that the reason that this is happening is just like us. Come on, somebody say, just like me. Just like me. Just like me, God is showing compassion. He's given us instruction. He gives it to us over and over and over. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He keeps helping us and we keep refusing him. And you know what happens? Your vine gets cut down. The work of your hands get burned up. And then we get angry at God. Really? The one who's compassionate and gracious to us? Who's been so abundantly good to us? It's like a stubborn, obstinate child. You cannot do enough to make them happy. You are the, the adult serving the needs of some, serving the wishes and the whims of some little child. God puts an end to that because He cares for us and He wants to change us. Yeah. Look at verse 17. Listen to this. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. What an awkward saying in English. Oh, man. 
let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. Who is this? This is God the Father resting his hand upon Jesus himself. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. In Job, Elihu is telling Job, man, maybe we should call for an angel to come and be a mediator for us. You know what God does here in Psalm? He does something even better than what Elihu could have ever hoped for. He doesn't just send an angel. He sends the very son of God to be, to work on our behalf as a mediator. Man, Asaph here in this song, in this psalm, is prophesying about the exceedingly abundant kind of provision that God gives when we will but cry out to His name. We will stop operating in our own pride, our own brokenness, and we will actually reach out to Him. The man at His right hand, the very Son of Man that He raised up for Himself. Not only did he cause him to grow and raise him up that way, but he was slain. He died for us and was raised up for God's purpose of bringing restoration to us. This is like in Paul's writing where he says, there is but one mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ. He's not meaning to correct Elihu, but he's, t- he's letting you know what Elihu was crying out for in Job. God's done one better. He didn't choose an angel. He chose his very son and he sent his son to you. How long could we stand back when God has sent his own son for us? See, He's more than come down to meet you on a mountain. He's gone down to snatch you out of the very depths (laughs) of your own personal hell. He wants to put the band back together. Psalm 80 is not just a writing. It's not just in the Ketuvim. It's writing set to music. What do we call that? He's putting the band back together. And we got a new leader, y'all. We got a new lead singer. And it's not Hagar. It's Jesus the Christ. Amen. Verse 18 says, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Now, wait a second. We just had this revelation of the Christ in the book of Psalms from from Asaph. Do all this, Lord. Come and show us. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on you. So let me get this straight. We won't turn away after you actually restore us. Bring us back to life. Tell us your name. Explain your character. Demonstrate it to us. Yeah, after all that, we're not going to turn from you again. Oh. Well, amen. But even in case you do, look at verse 19. Restore us, O God. Get back to a repentance that he might restore you. Amen. O Lord God Almighty, make your face shine upon us. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Woo. That we may be saved. You know what? The truth is that sometimes to have him show his face upon you, you're going to need to show your face to him. You might even have to show your face in a building. <laughs> Or in a circle that you walked out of. Or in a situation that you made dirty. Or in a conversation where you hurt someone. You might have to have the courage to show your face. But when you do, listen to the compassion of our God. He doesn't strike it. He doesn't pull out your beard. He doesn't rip off his belt of righteousness and whip you. He makes his face shine upon you. See, if we have. The trust in Him to present ourselves to Him even when we know that we did wrong and do it in a public way, then you can be assured that He will restore you. 
That is a good God. It's not only in the Newer Testament, it's all the way back to Deuteronomy 30. He says, the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. When? When you turn wholeheartedly to Him and obey His commands. This is the same contiguous message that you've gotten from the beginning of His Word all the way throughout. Turn with us to Acts chapter 3. We've got three more passages of Scripture. Can y'all stay with us for three more passages of Scripture? Who in this room will give us five minutes? Amen. It looks like we got at least five hours with all those five-minute gifts. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says this. Repent then and turn to God. Isn't that where it all starts? It is. It really all starts. What was the message? The very first words that Jesus presents in the Gospels. The very first message that He has. When He begins His ministry... The very first word, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, because you need to be restored so that you can go and begin to restore others and bring the kingdom here on this earth. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. Oh man, what a good word is that. That's better than the Beach Boys singing about it. (laughs) Your sins wiped out. Public admittance. Coming honestly before God and His people, it wipes out your sin. Man, if we were talking about your credit card debt, you'd have come out of your feet right now. If we were talking about the mortgage to your house, you'd have leapt out of your seat. We're talking about something that damns your soul, and He will Wipe, wipe it out. It out. Yeah. Have you heard that message, that debt forgiveness program <laughs> so much that you're numb to it? Because to have a mortal offense against God wiped out simply by going, I was wrong, seems like such a cheap exchange. And it becomes even cheaper when you can't even say. I was wrong. We say what's happening here is not exactly clear. Battle lines have been drawn. See, the words to that song were prophetic about why the band broke up. Nobody could take responsibility for their own actions. The restoration of the world begins with the admittance that you broke it. And as soon as you will do that, God's face begins to shine upon you and he will bring beautiful things. And to that's you. the very thing that shows whether you are actually walking in repentance or not. Look at it. It's on your screen. Look right there at verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. How do you know if your sins have been wiped out? That times of refreshing and restoration may come to you. If you're not walking in restoration in a refreshing time, you know what you're not doing. You're not repenting. If you will repent, the Lord can whew, he can restore that which has been taken away from you. He can put you back in a place where your hope is revived, where your strength is renewed, where your spirit is on fire. This is what comes from repenting. Is the times of refreshing may come and they don't just come randomly. No. They don't just come from your pastors or your church. They come from the Lord himself. Oh man. Come on now, we need some refreshing in this place today. Anybody in here want refreshments? I do. Look at the next verse. And that he may send the Christ. In case he was just, you thought he was only going to send refreshment. 
and restoration. He's going to send His very self to you, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. The whole goal is that He will He will restore all things unto Himself. He will present us as a bride that is beautiful without spot or wrinkle. He will present us to Himself in a perfected manner. So how He's doing that is He's doing it in your life. He's doing it in my life. He's doing it in this band of the restored here at this place. That we might be restored. That in due time we will help Him accomplish this to restore everything in all things. In our second to last scripture today, the new leader of our band of the restored, he submitted all the way to death and rose from the grave, seated at the right hand of God, just to show you what restoration looks like. That if you are not dead yet, you have not begun to go as far as he's willing to go to snatch you out of something. Amen. See, he is altogether compassionate, altogether faithful. The problem's never been with the leader of our band. The problem has always been with competing vocalist. There was not enough me in the monitor. There was not enough volume in my earpiece. See, we are going to have to come to grips with the fact that we are in a band of the restored, but he is our leader. Revelation 21 explains to us what the world will look like when we get the melody to the song right. Amen. Do y'all want to sing a new song with the Lamb? Do you want the world to be at peace? Do you want the lamb to lie down with the lion? Do you want the millennial reign of our God? Yes. His kingdom is coming to the earth. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Uh Had passed away. Friends, they're passing away now. It's just not complete. Every time somebody clings to the new, newest plastic surgery, it's going to look funny in a few years, I promise. This world is passing away. Every time somebody clings to the latest wealth and development scheme, it's going to look funny in a few years. Because this world is passing away. Yeah. But it's not gone yet. You have to die to it. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. How does the bride in the Bible dress for her husband? What are her white garments? Righteous deeds. Righteous deeds. See, we are a people that must be restored. And our restoration is not an inward work Only, it is not just the Lord inscribing upon our hearts. It is the carrying out of what he has inscribed on our hearts. A bride is dressed in her beautiful actions. We are the bride of Christ. And when we were in death, but we're now restored, it shows in our actions. You hug people you once hated. You forgive people you once fought with. You show it outwardly. How many times have you tricked yourself into believing I've forgiven them in my heart because it required no action outwardly? As a grown man standing here at 218 pounds of solid blubber, 
I have often shaken in my hands at the thought that I had to call somebody. That the Lord told me, get this right. And I'm like, I don't have a problem, Lord. Then why is my finger trembling as I'm getting to the button? We have a fine way of excusing what we don't want to do. When instead, what we need to do is say, Lord, would you clothe me in your power for this purpose? That I might get this right? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away. Every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is when comes saying the, comes true the saying from Hosea. He tore us to pieces. But on the second day, he re, he, he revived us. And on the third day, he restored us. There is a process. If you are dwelling in death, the Lord will allow you to be torn to pieces. But He will begin to breathe life into you as He sees you approaching Him. And if you continue to approach Him doing what He says, He will absolutely raise you from the dead. Come on. We build a new world by starting with your own life. And what you do in your life will spread to your family. And what your family does will spread to the community of families in here. And what we do will spread to the world. It's really beautiful. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. What is he making new? Everything. Everything. This can feel impossible. But we've seen the impossible before. We've seen... People that were struggling end up with beautiful babies. We've seen people that thought they they would not be wed happily married. We have seen those who could not be healed, healed. We've seen those who were possessed and could not be freed, freed. We've seen impossible before. Come on. In fact, I was thinking of Daniel 4. There was a king whose pride caused God to strike him so that he became like an animal. Could anything be worse than a king becoming an animal? It's what a backslidden Christian looks like, though. They never say they're backslidden. They just act like animals. (laughs) But there was hope even for King Nebuchadnezzar because he went from an animal right back to a king when he humbled himself before his God. See, he will make everything new. Everything. Somebody say everything. Everything. We're going to put the band back together and everything Is going to be made new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it is a book of restoration. And we are a band of the restored. It's time that we start singing the right song. Come on, I love that fact. Write it down. Have you ever told anybody that? You could write this down. This is going to happen. This is what... The Messiah is telling to us, is speaking to us. You can write this down. You can take it to the bank. You can trust in this that the Lord is doing. Let's turn it uh, for our final passage to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <laughs> Let's see what's been written down for us Amen. here. These trustworthy and true things. Guys, it, it is an important piece for us today to not come to another service. 
to not hear another uh, uh, amount of scriptures that have been read to you and not let it pierce your heart. Let there be things that you need to repent for, that you need to admit before the Lord and maybe others here in this room that you have failed and you have done wrong. You can't leave here yet again without having repentance because God is beckoning to us. He used a prophecy from Miss Joe this morning to tell us that it is a, the goal of today is restoration. Amen. Miss Joe did not know what we were going to preach on. We don't give her our notes ahead of time. But we should. We should do well, that. Well, we should just... We don't, but we, we should. We should just take her notes. The Vatican then... can wait on their copy, but Miss <laughs> Joe should get hers. <laughs> That's true. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. So from now on. Come on, somebody say from now on. Now on. Isn't that good? We don't have to be those branded... Those branded ones from before, you don't have to stay in what you were before. If you came to this altar on Wednesday night, there's hope that all those things are gone. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Amen. Though we once regarded Christ in this way. Wow. We no longer do so. That's why it says in Galatians 6.1 that we're supposed to restore a brother gently. Why? Because we were there. We understood that. And from now on, we don't look at each other that way. We need restoration. We need to be liberated. I'm reminded in 1 Peter 5, it was on our announcements this morning. That after you've suffered a little while, you know what's going to happen? He himself will restore you. And make you strong and firm and steadfast. This is what we're seeing this morning. The restoration of ourselves and our family. And this entire world must be the aim of our engagements, of our exploits, of what we are engaging in every day. It has to be for restoration. Boy, some people look at this church and they think a lot of things. I'm not even worried about all those things. You guys are so serious. You're so, you're, we're going for restoration. We'll do anything that it takes. We want to die to ourselves daily that you might find restoration. That you might be able to serve Him as His very spokesperson. As a mouthpiece from the heavens. But you can't do that if you can't admit where you are. From now on. From now on. From this moment forward. Be quick to repent. Be the first to repent. It's not a sign of weakness. I know that some people in this room think repenting. And being good at repenting is actually a sign of, of some weakness that you have. <laughs> I, I don't want to, I, I just, I'm not being very genuine about it. You're staying in a life bound by sin and you're trying to make it sound like it's something that's honorable. I'm, I'm being authentic. No, you're not being authentic. You're being authentically ungodly, is what you're being. Be quick to repent. Anytime we have ever taken a hard stand where we will not move, it's because we believe that that will eventually lead to restoration. This week, I got a phone call from a dear friend, a very good friend, a friend of three decades. He helped me build this church. About half the clothes in my closet came from him. Stephen Richards called me this week. He called to say that he loves us. He called to say that he was sorry. He called to say that he would be here as soon as he was well enough to get here. And that his wife, Miss Richards, Aisha Richards, also was eager to be here. That they love us. That they're sorry for what has happened. And that they want 
to come and renew our love with each other. That's good. We're getting the band back together. We didn't put requirements on them. We didn't punish them. And so all we have ever wanted is restoration. That's true for every person that is not here now that knows that they're supposed to be. That's all we've ever wanted. Because that is what this book is about. It's not about counting men's sins against them. It's not about labeling people by a mistake they made. It is about taking responsibility so that you can get restored. That's all we want. That's what Christ wants for you. That's what we want for each other. We want to be a band of the restored. In verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You may have heard that so long that it's lost its meaning. You are declared new in Christ immediately, but in reality, the tenses of the verbs of the old has gone is literally, it's still in the process of starvation. See, you're declared new right away, but you're having to starve the old man out of your life. You're counting him dead, but he's not actually dead. You have to not let sin reign in your mortal body. Because while you've been stamped of God, you have something else in you as well. And it's at war with what you know is right. So the promise is, if you get into Christ, you are declared new. And that the old is dying. The new has come. You're given the new before the old is gone. And you're declaring that the old is gone because you have the new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of a Christian? To restore things. That's all we want. That's all we want with anyone, starting with the people in the seats. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Listen, this is what the gospel is about. That you can be raised from the dead, first spiritually and then in a physical resurrection. That what happened previously is washed away and you stand a member of the band of the restored with Jesus Christ as the lead singer. And the whole world enjoys a beautiful new song. Amen. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Who's the we here? We. We who have been, who've brought our tablets of obedience and repentance up the mountain. We who have had his name and character revealed to us through his restoration power. We who present him, represent him and have been restored. We, we in this room, we the band of the restored with worthy words to speak. So that we might speak not only on his behalf, but we will speak his very words. We will speak his truth. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We represent him. We walk in his authority. We are taking the rules of some other kingdom and showing and displaying them here on this earth. As though God were making his appeal through us. Mm. 
It's because he is making his appeal to us. What is appealing is to see someone who can repent and watch their life be restored. There's something that is so savory. There's something that is so beautiful about that. It's not the strength that you have that God needs. It's when you allow your weaknesses to be celebrated. It's when you can rejoice and that his strength is being made perfect in you. That his restoration power is at work in you each and every day. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Oh, come on. That's our cry for you today. We implore you. We beg you. We say that this is what the Lord wants for you today. Be reconciled to God here in this place today. Be reconciled to God. This is all this ministry is about. We want what happens in you personally to spread to your family. And what happens in your family to spread to the nations. The message that men can be reconciled to God. Have their purpose restored. That they can put the band back together. We don't have to dream about some other time in history. We can make history right now. The last verse we have to read to you today. Is God made him who had no sin. Somebody say no sin. No sin. To be clear, that's not talking about you. It's funny that Christians are like, oh yeah, I, I used to have real problems, then I got saved. Like the last time they repented was at the moment of their birth into the kingdom. If that's true, then you were still born. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for who? Us. So that in him we might become. Say become. Become. See, this action, it transforms you. You become something. You become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The whole point is if he's going to make you his ambassador, you have to have experienced it yourself. The more experienced an ambassador is, the better ambassador he is. Those who have sinned much, love much. See, the more a man has repented, been close enough to the Lord to see the condition of his own heart. The more that happens, the more he in turn loves the father and loves his fellow man who needs what he is getting. Stop thinking about the day when you were saved and think about the days where you are being saved. And think about the day yet to come when you will set aside this body and take on a resurrected body and complete your salvation and realize you're in a process And the more that you engage that process, the better ambassador you will be on the behalf of the king who gave us this process. It's not a shame to repent. It's not a shame to show back up where you know you belong. It's a shame to hide in your pride and go down to the pit. That's what's a shame. Would you stand to your feet? As we begin to pray, Pastor Eric and I have given you what we feel like the Lord put on our hearts. The question 
that you have to ask yourself today is, in what areas do you need to be restored? Because that will dictate to you where you must repent and what you must repent of, that times of refreshing from the Lord may come to you, that He Himself may come visit you. Would you chisel out those stone tablets in your heart and in your own hands bring them to Him today? This message does no good if you hear it and there's no repentance or restoration brought to your life. The Lord moved me while Pastor Eric was speaking. Are you being like Naaman today? Has he so clearly laid out a path before you that you just refuse because it doesn't meet your prerogative? We're going to begin to worship here. The Lord told us today that it's a day of restoration. And it will be for many of you in here. And it can be for all of you in here. If you will respond now to his words. Mighty God, we need your help today. We come with the tablets in our own hands before you. Lord, would you bring repentance in this place today that we might feel your restoration. That we might feel that time of refreshing and new life that needs to come upon us now, mighty God. Do not let any man or woman, young person in this room, stand as Naaman, neglecting what you're actually telling them. You have a chance for restoration today. You are telling us. You are moving us. It is your great compassion that is showing us that you want to restore people today. God, may we respond to you now in every area of our life. May we hold nothing back from you now, Lord. Let us hold nothing back. We repent, Lord. We repent now. We repent often. We repent with all that we are, God, that we might feel your presence upon us. Move upon your people today.